1: The next stage of life is really amazing. It's it's beautiful. You'll forget any insecurities or whatever you carry with you now. All that will disperse.
0: Welcome, everybody, to the Jeff Mara Podcast. For those of you that are listening on audio only like iTunes or Spotify, we do have a YouTube video of this, and that's on the Jeff Mara Podcast YouTube channel. Today's guest is David Ditchfield. He is a near-death-experienced, inspired artist, composer, and author. In 2006, he was dragged under a speeding train in a freak accident. As the surgeons fought to save him, he had a profound near-death experience. When he woke up in the hospital, he had acquired astonishing new abilities. He found he could paint dramatic paintings of what he had seen in the afterlife, far beyond any artistic ability he had before. He then discovered he could compose classical music, having never received any training. And to this day, he cannot read or write a single note of musical notation. And yet his debut, the NDE-inspired symphony The Divine Light, was premiered at a sellout orchestral concert to a standing ovation. He has since composed further classical works, which have also been premiered at sellout concerts and completed over 40 paintings. David, welcome. Thank you so much for joining Hi, us Jeff. today. I really appreciate Good it. Good to be here.
1: <laughs> my pleasure.
0: Let's just start from the beginning. Can you please start with telling my audience what happened?
1: Mm, sure. Okay. Well, it all started for me really. I was uh, at a rail station. I was I was seeing off a friend and I was helping her onto the to the train carriage with her bags and gave her a hug and a kiss to say goodbye Mm -hmm. and at that point we both heard the the emergency buzzers go off for the doors to close and Mm so i stepped back but as i did step back the bottom part of my coat got trapped in the doors as they slammed to Mm -hmm. and i couldn't pull it free i tried everything i tugged as hard as i could um but to no avail. So I looked around for a guard mm-hmm. on the platform, but there wasn't anybody there. There was no guard at all. Uh, in fact, there was just one other guy who was also seeing off his girlfriend or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and that was it. I started banging on the side of the, the windows because yeah, mm-hmm. the doors were not going to open, hoping that somebody might run through an official or what have you, but that wasn't to be. So the engine started to rev up.
0: There's no way that you could have taken off your jacket.
1: No, good question. In fact, the guy behind me shouted to me, "Take your jacket off, mate. Take your jacket off." Oh, but yeah. it was like a, a really a good quality sheepskin coat, and it was like the I remember like the the actual fur came right down the sleeves, and I I got a jumper on underneath that like a sweater, so I knew there was no way it was going to come off easily, oh, wow. you know. So the, that wasn't an option, sadly. <laughs> hmm. So um, so yeah, so uh, I just heard the engines rev up, and I, I remember I looked into the eyes of my friend Anna, who I was seeing off. And uh, we just knew at that point that this could be it. I could tell in her eyes and uh, there was fear looking straight at me. And I just thought, this is it. I'm going to die. Mm. And the train pulled out at tremendous speed. You know, you don't realize just how fast a train pulls out of a station when you sat there on your mobile or whatever, as they pull out, you're not really bothered, are you? But they really do. You know, the gears were shifting one after another. And eventually I lost my footing and uh, I got dragged along the platform and uh, I was pulled um, between the space of the platform edge and the, the speeding train itself. And I was just sucked right in to this kind of like, what felt like, like a big, dark um sort of machine you know like a very violent experience I was just literally tossed around from pillar to post and um (laughs) thrashed around violently and I eventually found myself lying in between the tracks and the train was still continuing on it was a long train and I just figured wow you know it's not over yet so I just Figured the best thing to do because I was in survival mode was just to keep my face right down into the into the gravel. Mm-hmm. I could smell the oil and the diesel, and it was just horrific. And then eventually the train passed on, and there I was lying on the track in absolute shock. Uh, I couldn't believe really that I'd survived it. Um, you know, I just felt all the way through that this was it, I was going to die.
0: Mm-hmm. From what I'm understanding, the train dragged you down the track a ways
1: yeah it it dragged me it it dragged me along and I pulled me under and then and then dragged me and then eventually it dropped me uh, and i hit the ground and then then the train continued on and it just kind of because i remember it seeing it disappear on, off into the distance
0: can you estimate we're only on the american but half a mile half a kilometer uh, you know
1: uh... i don't know it, it went probably more than that actually because uh it didn't stop until right in the middle of the countryside because my friend came in and saw me in hospital afterwards and we talked a lot about it. Mm-hmm. And she said that, you know, she ran through the train desperately trying to find somebody. She well, first of all, she ran to the to the window of the carriage to see if I'd survived it. To, you know, or not. And she saw me go under. Mm-hmm. So she figured that, you know, it must it must have killed me. But right. she still obviously wanted to stop the train. Yes. And eventually, she found. Well, she bumped into another passenger who could see she was in distress, and they both ran through the each carriage after another. And they found a ticket collector, and he stopped the train. Mm-hmm. Eventually,
0: how did you detach from the train? Did you just your jacket tear?
1: It's yeah. There was. I remember hearing this almighty rip uh, as I got pulled down it was it was just a it was a moment because interestingly enough it was like throughout the whole ordeal it was like time had slowed down mm-hmm. it did it wasn't like i was in slow motion but um the rail police who did like a massive inquiry on the whole thing mm-hmm. they told me that it took 13 and a half seconds that they estimated from the time the train pulled off and me going under now to me it felt like minutes you know because i got mm-hmm. I got time to think it all through. Right. I remember thinking to myself, I'd seen a news item a couple of weeks before where they'd thrown a small child from a burning apartment block to mm. save it. And it had it survived with no injuries mm. as the child dro- dropped. Mm. And they said, because infants and small children don't tense up, they're relaxed, you know? Yeah. And um, so, so I decided to do that. I thought that's, that's my only, I knew I got no other way of fighting. So I thought, I'm just going to relax. And so my friend who saw me go under, she mm-hmm. said, "She said, yeah, this is bizarre. She said, but when I saw you go under, it's like you rolled under really gracefully. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? I did. Yeah, so.
0: Maybe you can clear it up to me. I'm not really sure when you use the words, I went under, because mm-hmm. it makes me need at least say you went under the train or what do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, basically I – if you can visualize, you know, you've got the, how close the train itself is to the edge of a platform. I, when I look at the space now in between, because I've been back after lots of therapy to, to the rail station, <laughs> yeah. and the space is just so small, I don't even know how I got in, but it was literally, the, you know, the fact that I was still attached to the train and, and the sheer speed just pulled me through. So I was just like literally pulled in, in, I don't know where I went because I was just, uh, as I say, I was tossed around relentlessly, but mm-hmm. my, my left arm got severed. So, you know, I, I I most certainly got, and my coat got completely ripped up. Mm-hmm. So I was definitely sort of caught up in the mechanics of the, of the actual train mm-hmm. wheels itself and, mm-hmm. and what have you. But clearly I didn't actually end up under the actual, right. <laughs> I'd be dead now. There's no mm-hmm. way I would have survived it. you know. But although in saying that, I know that my left arm most certainly got, got caught up in 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 the in the wheels because Mm -hmm. those are the only things that were moving forward you know
0: you said your left arm got severed yeah that means you lost the arm
1: or i well it was still attached it was from the the elbow down okay Mm -hmm. so i remember it was one of the first things i noticed when 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 i assessed myself you know as the trainer had moved on And it just completely ripped open. I could see all the workings of my arm inside. Uh, And yeah, which interestingly enough wasn't as horrific as you would think. Mm -hmm. I was actually fascinated by it. I thought, "Wow, that's me. That's the inside of my body. Mm -hmm. That's how it all works." You know. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I got to hospital, I I, I just as they were taking me into surgery, I begged the uh, the surgeon. I said, can you save my arm, please? You know, mm-hmm. and uh, I really need it. And so yeah. he said, I'll do what I can. And they yeah. did, they saved it. I That's still awesome. have my left arm. It doesn't function, you know, as, as fully. Yeah. But Hey, I've still got it. They didn't, it's amazing. What, they, they sewed all a lot of the tendons back together. Mm-hmm. And then he pulled in one of the best, uh, what he called the bone, best bones surgeon in, in the, in the UK. And he mm-hmm. came down like four or five days later and he fixed all or the whole, it, I got a steel plate going right down my arm and mm-hmm. all the bones were completely shattered. And he said it looked like a stone wall that were all screwed into this, mm-hmm. this plate that goes down my arm. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's amazing what they can do. You know.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> so you had the um, accident mm. and I don't know if you're conscious or unconscious on your way to the hospital...
1: I was fully conscious throughout. Yeah. Fully conscious so they, the they, ride. Yeah. I don't know how they got me in that, in, off that track and into mm. the ambulance, but they did eventually. And, um, I remember the guy that, well, the doctor in the back of the ambulance said, look, there's a hospital around the corner where we've just come from. That's why we were here so quick. But the one that's going to save you is quite a drive. Can you hang on? I said, yeah, let's go. Mm. So I remember the siren going on and we just took off like a rocket down the highway, you know? Mm. And, um, We arrived in the hospital, and it was just like a team of of medics and uh, surgeons and nurses all waiting for me, basically, you know. So they took me straight into the bay and got to work on me. I was losing a lot of blood by this point, I remember. And, uh, uh, you know, it was pretty scary because I I couldn't understand what they were talking about, obviously. (laughs) I could tell they sounded pretty frantic. Um, And I was there for some time, and then my family arrived. Um, And so that was kind of like kind of weird because I wasn't expecting to see them at all. And the, the surgeon who was already got to know me by then or introduced himself said, look, your family are here. Could you, do you could you handle seeing them? I said, yeah, send them through. So they came in and, of course, they were, my mom was in tears and completely distraught. And, um, uh, and Anna, who I was seeing off the train, was there as well. The police had grabbed her from the next station and got her in a cab and pulled her over to the station. She was in complete shock. Yeah. So I said, look, I need to speak to her. You know, we just been through this almighty ordeal together. And it's just like, I had to connect mm-hmm. with her before they took me into surgery. Right. So she came over and I said, look, are you okay? You know, and she just stood there. She was just going, you know, her head was going from the side to side. She said, mm-hmm. I, I, she said I can't, I, I can't believe you're alive. You know? So I said, yeah, I'm alive. You know, <laughs> and so uh, it was at that point, um, that I left my body. Mm-hmm. So I left all the, the the trauma and the pain, you know, that was going that I'd just been through and was still in in, in the hospital itself, you know. Mm-hmm. And I went from that place into a really peaceful sort of what seemed like a darkened room. But when I say darkened, I don't mean like a, a foreboding darkness. It was like a very comforting darkness.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I just lay there and I just thought, where am I? you know, and I looked around and What I first saw were these, like, they're like these pulsating colors of light that were almost welcoming me, you know, and they were just kind of also calming me down. They were just slowly pulsating, and they were all different colors of uh, almost like crystals, I guess, you know, and Mm. just like ambers and green and stuff, and uh, very earthy sort of colors. And um, then I kind of looked around me and I looked down and I noticed that I was no longer lying on a hospital trolley, but I was on a huge slate rock. It was like a big, it was like a big medieval sort of stone altar, you know, that you see in these movies and stuff. And uh, but it felt very comfortable to lie on. And I, and I thought, this is, this is really great. And I figured that I was dead. I thought, okay, I clearly didn't make it because I didn't know whether I was going to survive still. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I've died and I, this is it, I'm on to the next stage. Mm-hmm. But I didn't resist it. I didn't sort of say, well, oh, you panic and want to come back, uh, as some people do, um, from what I've since read about or heard mm-hmm. about. Um, it's not like I wanted to die, but after what I'd just been through, it was just, it was just great to be mm-hmm. at peace, just relying, lying there in this beautiful place and uh, feeling... No more pain. All the pain had gone. You know.
0: Did you hear anything at the time? Were you hearing anything? Was it quiet music? It was, it was
1: quiet. And- yeah. It was. I didn't hear anything actually throughout the whole experience. Um, you know, some people do, and, and they say that they're told things, but a lot of information was starting to come through, and a lot of that was was uh, all coming through telepathy, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so no, it was just beautiful, uh, calm, quiet and uh i just laid my head back and it was at that point i looked up and and there were like three grids of white light very symmetrical grids that were like closing in on me mm-hmm. and i looked into those grids and there was like this very strong pure white light that was just shining into my eyes and uh and I say it was bright, but I couldn't take my gaze away from it. It's not like if I looked into an electric light now or sunlight, I wouldn't be able to do it and hold that gaze. Whereas this, I could and wanted to. Mm -hmm. And I felt like this light was healing me as well. And I felt like it was giving me, you know, helping me through what I just, the ordeal I'd just been through for some reason. Mm -hmm. And, um, as I lay there, I was kind of bathed in this light, and I just enjoyed the being bathed in the light. And um, I, then I suddenly felt the presence of somebody. I thought there's somebody here. Somebody just kind of suddenly arrived. Mm-hmm. So I lifted my head up, and I looked, and just at my feet, there was there was a, there was a person stood there. Mm-hmm. Um, and this person was just wearing a very contemporary in a sort of black T-shirt, a very simple T-shirt, mm-hmm. uh, nothing to ethereal. cereal. Um, but he or she, because it was there androgynous, mm-hmm. was neither male nor female in form, had this kind of beautiful, pure white blonde hair, mm-hmm. but this skin that was radiating light, and the light was just coming out from within. Mm-hmm. And I felt um, comforted by this being. I felt like you know, he or she was my guardian and was watching over me and greeting me basically as well. And there was an expression on the face that I knew. I felt like I'd known this person throughout the whole of my life and beyond, you know. And I thought, who are you? I kept saying, who are you? I know you, don't I? And this being just kept smiling back at me, you know, just kind of like, and again, the telepathy was saying, just take it easy, you're safe, you know, I'm here for you. So so that was... Beautiful, and uh, I then I thought I got to. I wanted to check down and look at my body to see. Uh, it, I'd seen how distressed it had been and how ripped up it was, and I looked down, and all my wounds were completely healed. You know, I, I was no longer clothed, but I was just covered in this kind of blue, sort of satin silk sheet, which felt very cooling and calm over me. And um, I, yeah, my arm was back in place. Everything was okay. You know, not a scratch. <laughs> so. I just thought I mean, I'm going to rest my head back and enjoy a little bit more of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was at that point that I started to feel that was, there was the presence of, of more people. So I opened my eyes again, and uh, there, were, there, was, there were two female forms this time mm-hmm. uh, either side of me. And uh, one was uh, sort of to my right, was wearing just like a very simple brown dress, very contemporary again, uh, with long brown hair and sort of bluey green eyes. And the the girl to my left was more uh, Asian Indian, American Indian in appearance, wearing a more traditional dress. Um, but they, they both had their, they didn't really look at me at all, but they both had their hands just sort of like hovering over my body. Uh, as if to give me, as if they were healing me. It was almost like a sort of, I suppose the best way I could describe it is like Reiki healing or something like that. It, I've never had Reiki healing, but I know what it, it, it appears like, and it looked like that.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. So there was the energy that was coming from their hands was radiating uh, a power that felt like uncondition, unconditional love, is what i call it. It was just this love that was emanating from their hands. And it was just—I uh, could feel it going right the way through my whole, every single part of my my body, every every cell, you know. And um, I figured uh, again, you know, the the what I was being told was that they weren't actually so much healing my physical wounds, my physical body, but they were healing all the uh, my soul and and all the injury that uh, that it had taken and the bashing it had taken over the years you know mm-hmm. all the guilt and shame that i carried around with me for all those years so it's it like all that all those layers were being peeled off and and they were healing so yeah it was a very beautiful moment
0: if you don't mind me asking um after to this date you know looking back afterwards and maybe i'm i'm going too quick ahead but do you ever have you ever figured out who that first being was
1: um yeah I, i'm as I say, it was most certainly my guardian and, and my guardian angel. I mm-hmm. suppose is one one word to use, but mm-hmm. also I'd say that it is because I, as I say, that I felt that I knew this person right. from throughout my whole life and beyond. That it was it was all my higher state of consciousness, if you like. You know, it's my, you know, the the beings of light to me, but they were like. They were like sort of on, on a higher dimension of the universe, mm-hmm. uh, whereas I, my uh, physical uh, souls are, are on the lower dimensions of, of of the earth plane, as it were. So, so yes, yeah, mm-hmm. so I felt like it was like a, a higher dimension of my of myself. Mm-hmm. Really, yeah.
0: You know, it's so it wasn't somebody that you knew. And what I find is interesting is and I'm curious, and as I talk to more people on, on my podcast, I people talk a lot about soul groups about, you know, groups of people that kind of travel from life and lifetime to lifetime together. And I was, Mm -hmm. is it possible this is somebody from your soul group? That's why you felt so familiar. You just couldn't remember. Yeah, that
1: sounds interesting. I'll have to find out more about that. Somebody else has mentioned that to me, actually, I must Mm -hmm. look into it, but I can't really answer it because I don't, you know, have the, the sort of background on what soul groups are. Right. But, um, It sounds like, yeah, it could, that could be the case from what I've also been told before.
0: Yeah. So um, I'm sorry for interrupting you.
1: No, please do. I wanted to.
0: Um, So you got healing from the other two, which the other two I'm assuming weren't familiar. They were just,
1: they weren't familiar, but um, I, I feel that they're still with me. Right. And I feel not only that, that, I was being told that they'd been with me throughout the whole of my life. All three of them have been there for oh, yes. And I'd never realized it because I'd never, I was never spiritual before. So there was no way I was, I would stop and try to connect with them or ask for their help or their guidance. Okay. Whereas now I do. Wow. So now I'm very familiar, familiar with them that they are my, you know, my, my, um, my soul guides, you know, yeah. my, my garden angels. So they're with me. Yeah.
0: During this, do you have any idea how much time had passed?
1: Well, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I continued on with the experience, and uh, what I realised was uh, um, quite a few people have asked me how, how long they thought it was, and, and I know this sounds like a bit of a cop out answer, but mm-hmm. there was there was no dimension of, of time at all. Time literally didn't exist. Right. Um, I mean, the reason I say this is because I was fully aware that. I was just in the present moment, mm-hmm. and that was all that mattered. All the past didn't matter anymore, didn't, didn't occur to me. All my feelings of guilt mm-hmm. and shame that I carried around with me had dispersed from me. Mm-hmm. And also all my worries and concerns about the future, which I held a lot of, mm-hmm. all those are gone. I didn't care about the future either. So so it's very much a dimension of, of no time uh, whatsoever. I mean, you can... It's, it's it's a lot of people who've had NDEs will will answer the same thing. They feel like they they're contradicting themselves all the time because with a near death experience, it's like what happened was it was ultra real. It's it's not like a a, a dream and it's not like a hallucination, mm-hmm. but it's also not as it's as real as you and I are chatting now. But it's 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 a different dimension. It's it's, it's also very different. Everything kind of looks the same, but also feels different. You know. Um, so i couldn't really put a, a figure on it i mean you know things moved on from there i mean i i mean here's an interesting one for you you know when i was in the hospital i remember turning around to my mother and I was going, Mum, it's always me bringing all the dramas to this family. I'm so mm. sorry and I was apologising. Yeah. It's not your fault uh-huh. because it wasn't. So there you go. You can, there's a good insight as to the kind of person I was right. feeling like I'd brought a lot of trouble to the family. Okay. And uh, whereas up there, all that had gone. I remember thinking to myself actually at one point, I thought, I wonder how my family are doing, you know, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like, oh my goodness, my family, you know. So I figured I'd, I'd just take a look, see if I can see them. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'd lift my head and look over the edge of this huge rock I was lying on. Mm-hmm. And I looked over, but I, I, I didn't actually see them. But what I did see was this remarkable, beautiful, awesome sight. It was like a, a huge um, sort of curve of stars, like a waterfall of stars, if you like, uh, the size of Niagara. And mm-hmm. there there's millions of stars sparkling, and there was like shooting stars just falling through the middle. And I thought, wow, this is awesome, you know. And then i I looked, and uh, the further I looked, I felt that I was going through from one galaxy into another. Mm-hmm. And I, the further I looked, I was suddenly seeing colours that were that were in other parts of the universe. So I knew then I wasn't in a small, darkened space, but I was actually in the universe itself, which was really kind of quite a, a powerful <laughs> feeling and a, and, a, and a realization. Yeah.
0: Did you feel like, I mean, as you were looking down the waterfall, was it kind of like it going into like a black hole or something?
1: It's, it wasn 't going into a black hole because the further I looked it was almost like you know when you look at a, a dark when people say when they go star gazing it takes you you 've got to give yourself half an hour for your eyes to adjust from the from to, to the clarity. It was like that, mm-hmm. my eyes had to keep adjusting, and as I kept adjusting then i 'd see further and further then i 'd see color mm-hmm. like beautiful colors which which is very interesting because a lot of there 's been um, the um, uh, what's it called? The the, the telescope. I've got to... Anyway, it'll come back to me soon. But there's right. there's the big telescope that's just like has taken some fantastic pictures, right? Of, of, of our galaxy, right? And then the first they came out about uh, two years ago, mm-hmm. and I thought, wow, that's exactly what I saw. And you know, that's what I started to paint. Mm. You know, my friends were getting into it saying, Have you seen those new? Um, Hubble, Hubble. That's yes. it. Have you seen those new Hubble photos? And I was going, yeah. And, and again, it's like your paintings. I said, yeah, I know. So I, those were the colors that I saw. So rather than looking into a dark black hole, he was mm-hmm. looking into more and more beauty. I
0: agree with you that I feel like wherever you are, when you're not on this planet, you know, dead or whatever, it's a place that doesn't time doesn't exist anymore. You're like out. It's like as if you're outside of time. You know what I mean? Yeah. But exactly. let me ask a question in this way. Have you spoke to anybody, especially your friend, like cause it sounds like you were speaking with her and then you just maybe from in front of her, you just fell unconscious. That was when you went to this had this experience. Has anybody told you like, man, you are like gone for like, you know, twenty minutes or thirty minutes or five minutes or you know, because even though if you were gone for one minute, in a timeless place, it doesn't really matter in time, but I'm just curious. Yeah.
1: uh, Unfortunately, I haven't quite got that clarity on that one because there was so much confusion going on that. Yeah. My friend was there at that point, but she had to stand back. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and when I told her about it afterwards, Mm -hmm. it was interesting because she said, you know what? She said that when I was, when I looked at you, your eyes suddenly changed. She, mm. said, she said, "Your eyes went from from all this darkness and and terror and fear that you've been through." You know, you know, when we look at somebody's eyes when they're just absolutely in shock. And she said they just there was just this calmness went over them, and then they just seemed to sparkle. So she did notice like a change in my eyes. But then she had to step back, so she wouldn't she was would no longer able to turn around and say, "Well, yeah, I was stood there for this mm-hmm. amount of time and stuff." So I've really no idea again from that point of view. But it wouldn't have been it probably it could have been seconds. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. To, on, in Earth times, it could have been seconds. It could have been minutes. But right. I don't. It won't have been. Oh uh, like ten minutes or whatever like that. It went because i i I definitely would't known that because mm. because by the time I come around, they were starting to wheel me into theater, you
0: know I don't think you have to be clinically dead on this planet to have the experience you had no so i said i was curious Is like that the doctors you know later said hey we lost yeah. you for 10 minutes but we brought yeah you back. no no, no. They,
1: they didn't say that no okay. it, it's it's very true that you know that um you don't have to be clinically dead i mean it's really when you're in a stage like i am where where you are on the cusp where where you're actually facing death which i could have been because of the amount of blood loss you know yeah. it was touched and go but um some people don't even have to be in that much of a danger zone, but yeah. to have near death experiences, but it's generally speaking. Yeah, it can be either way. But the next thing that I should, I'd like to t- talk about in, in the near death experience was, was mm-hmm. one of the most important parts for me really was, um, I began to feel a, a bit later on that the, the, the energy that of love that I was talking about that was coming through was suddenly turned up like a dial had been turned up hugely. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I lifted my head again and this time I looked and what I could see behind the first being of light was I talked of was like a huge tunnel of a white light that was closing in towards me. And it was really quite a a huge tunnel and the energy of light that was coming from it was just so powerful that I felt like every molecule of my body was like vibrating, but with, with this love Mm. and, this tunnel was surrounded by all these flames that were like very powerful flames that were rotating around very slowly. Mm-hmm. But again, just like the time aspect, there was no sense of fear. I wasn't thinking like, wow, what is this? You know, I just, I was just really in love with it, with the, with the whole aspect. And I thought this is amazing. And I thought, and I knew instantly what this was. And this, I just said, this is the source of all creation that I'm looking at here. You know, this is God. Mm-hmm. This is not, you know, some guy up in the sky on the on the ceiling of the Vatican in Rome or or whatever God that uh, you know you you, you may follow you know, throughout most uh, religions. You know, it's not in a human form basically. That it's it's this huge tunnel of white light. So that was my perception of God and 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 the Creator. Mm-hmm. So that was a really beautiful moment to actually. Feel that and and have that knowledge and and you know be in the presence of it and feel this energy of of love <sighs> vibrating throughout me. Yeah.
0: Did this tunnel ever take like a shape of a being like you know Jesus or God or anything? no, not it was at all. Just no, it, just light.
1: It, it, it was just it was always just like a like a huge white. As I said, just like a white tunnel, and then with the, with these flames just slowly rotating around. Mm. And most people who have a near death experience talk about. Seeing the tunnel of light, and some people actually crossed through it, Mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't. I it was at that point that I came. I remember putting my head back. I was like laughing with all this joy of what I've experienced, and I came crashing back into my body Mm -hmm. in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So they sent me back at that point. They didn't. They they clearly didn't send send me through the tunnel, and um, I was back in the hospital, and all the. First of all, I, all, all the sound and, the, and the, the, the noise and the light was just on overkill. And then the, all the pain came rushing straight through my body. Mm. So it was like a real, <laughs> a, a, quite a nasty shock. But mm-hmm. in saying that, most people say to me, oh, you must have been really pretty disappointed, you know, that you'd come back. But mm. I wasn't because I was so charged with all this positive energy that I'd just been through and, and encountered that I just couldn't wait to tell everybody. And I just thought... What is? Why have they sent me back? What is my quest? And I just thought, right, I've got a mission. I've got to find out what that mission Mm -hmm. is.
0: Interesting that you say that you were in pain. And I was thinking about this earlier, but I didn't want to interrupt you. You know, on your way to the hospital and when your family came there, you were were talking to your family before this experience happened. I was wondering, were you in shock or did they load you up on morphine or something? Because I would have felt like you would have already been in massive amounts of pain. Before um.
1: That. Yeah. Um. Not morphine. No, because I. It's, mm-hmm. I when I because I I've written my story mm-hmm. and and I, which is in a book form now, mm-hmm. which has just come out and I and I I wrote that with with um a ghostwriter who's also mm-hmm. a trained nurse mm-hmm. who lectures in nursing. So I asked her if she could help out find what kind of medications I I might have been on, mm-hmm. and she said, well let's get the hospital records. So we paid to get the hospital records and I got them all through because I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to sort of, you know, look at everything from every single angle. And uh, she came back to me and said that, um, yeah, you know, you would have been given, I think it was ketamine, but not morphine. uh, uh, While I was on the, on the track. Right. But she said to me that, um, by the time judging because you got all you know, everything was all charted from the hospital arriving and everything mm-hmm. by the time i had my nde mm-hmm. um, the those that medication would have would have left my system it would, mm-hmm. would have, it wouldn't have been strong enough to have caused any form of a hallucination or anything like that wow. so so okay. by that point yeah i was pretty i was pretty lucid There's been research into near-death experiences, Mm -hmm. which I totally welcome. In fact, I've been on the radio and I've been on while there's been a scientist chatting on air at the same time as me, Mm -hmm. which is, I it's great, you know, because I I want want this to be be looked at because it's, to me, it's one of the most important things to have happened in my life. Mm -hmm. And it's something I've never forgotten. And it still is my mission to keep continuing to find out more about it and trying to you know sort of talk to people more about it as well Mm -hmm. so so yeah so so, um, and also uh, in terms of science i mean i wouldn't be here now without science i mean i also know that the the scientists the doctors saved me and they couldn't have saved me without Mm -hmm. all that science but yeah
0: and i i mean i agree with you i don't hope you feel like i'm challenging you i'm just kind of putting it together in my head and it makes sense now that when you came back when you came back you came back and you crashed into pain again now yeah because the medication had worn off and so when you came back because i was curious like okay well why
1: no no well the pain pain? no what i meant was sorry the the pain was there yeah before i'd gone into the 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 actual near-death experience right so what i'm talking about when i was in the actual nde itself all the pain had gone right so so i suddenly felt like i'd gone from that realm Mm -hmm. of of being completely painless and and all my emotions were fixed instantly Ooh, right. so suddenly being back into into the trauma of okay. um physical pain right you know so so the, i it was i felt three major things one was the, the trauma of the pain rushing back through my body mm-hmm. which was in, inevitable and and then the other two was the, the noise you know just the noise in the in the hospital was like my ears were like wow you know and then light as well was just i couldn't deal with the electric light mm-hmm. so yeah it was the it was strange yeah, which like, is something that stayed with me. Actually, I will say that that's one of the things that people say, uh, 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 you noticed anything that's changed about you physically mm-hmm. since. And that is it that I'm still very sensitive to, especially to noise. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't handle that like big live crowds anymore. You know, I've been, you know, I've been to a couple of gigs and concerts, which I always loved, you know, mm-hmm. I love the, bu- the buzz of the crowd and stuff. Yeah. But now it's kind of like, it's, it can be really overwhelming. And, and, I've, I've since met quite a lot of other people of have had N- NDEs, and they agree on the same thing. So it's kind of, you know, I thought maybe that was to do with the aftershock of the accident itself, but yeah, there you go. That's, that's it.
0: And it makes a lot of sense. I, I heard or read about a story of a woman that, and I try to be through this quickly. Um, <laughs> They had to do an experimental surgery on her and they literally cooled her body down to like 50 degrees so they could end for like 30 minutes to have this little small window to repair her brain or an artery in her brain. And while she, while that all happened, she had an NDE. And then when she came back, she was like freezing cold because her body was still warming back up when, you know, when they bring in her back. So that's kind of why it makes a lot of sense for me and for you and you came back and you were you still hadn't had the surgery on your arm or whatever and you came crashing back to this reality yeah. of your severed arm and everything else going on. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Um let me catch a couple questions here. After your experience, are you scared of death?
1: No, I'm not scared of death at all actually. I don't fear it. Um because I I firmly believe that well, that the soul lives on, and that that's the next stage of our journey, and that's, and I I was just lucky enough to be able to see that that opening. Um, I felt like I was being prepared for for, for something else, that for a next stage onwards. You know, uh, when I was in that near death experience itself. So yeah, I, I don't fear
0: death, not at all. That's great. I feel like yeah. in a way you're one of the lucky ones. It's Probably the most of us have always have you know some some sort of fear of death.
1: Well, do you know what? I mean, like, the way I see it as well is that, you know, yes, the, the body switches off and, and dies and, and fades, but our souls are far too strong. You know, our souls are really incredible things, and, and, and they just continue on. There's no, there's no reason for them just to suddenly die. Right. And so, yeah, I think they move on, most certainly.
0: All right, so let's get back to your story. You came back to yeah. confusion, light, noise, but you were still exhilarated yeah. of your experience. I was, yeah. And then they eventually had your surgery and kind of put you back together. And after all of this, um, what started happening then? Were you trying to piece it all back together? Did you start I was, yeah.
1: They gave me my own room in the hospital, which was great. you know. Mm -hmm. But I remember lying there in the middle of the night after eight hours of surgery. Part of me was like going, wow, (laughs) I've just been under a train. That's that's a big one to deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, But the major part of me was just thinking – Wow! Wow! I've just been and experienced, you know, the afterlife, and it was amazing. And and what was that? That was incredible. And I just thought I was scared I was going to forget everything I'd seen, and what and I thought I've got to tell people about this. But i mean, in hospital; I can hardly move. So I thought I'm going to paint it. I'd never done anything like this before, but I just got this new sort of like newfound ambition and confidence to say. I'm going to do a big painting and it's going to be like a big Michelangelo like these, these you know these big Renaissance style mm-hmm. paintings that you see that tell stories and then people will get it mm-hmm. so that was my plan and uh, and I literally did do that that was the first thing I did once I was uh, fit enough to be able to do it mm-hmm. I started painting I just got this big canvas and uh, uh, my aunt had bought me. Actually, she'd been visiting from Canada, and she said she got me this canvas. Anyway, bless her. So, anyway, I started to work on it, and yeah, I, I, I can't lie. I was apprehensive from starting it because I thought, oh, yeah, I, I, I can't. Do, can I do this? You know, kind of pull it off? And I can't mess this up. Uh, but as soon as I started painting, the colours were coming together on that canvas, and it was the images were so confident and I was, I was really going with it. I thought this is brilliant, you know, and I was sitting back and that's remarkable, you know, and I knew straight away because I still felt like i got this umbilical cord attached to the other side that was still with me for, for quite some time, you know. So mm-hmm. I thought they are giving me energy, they're helping me. Mm-hmm. So I, I realized from a very early stage that I was literally channeling ideas mm-hmm. that were helping me to i was getting like a crash course in 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 art if you like mm-hmm. so yes yeah, so i started painting and then i didn't stop i just kept going i was I was prolific and you know i just wanted to keep painting what i'd seen and mm-hmm. not only that i was lucky because uh, some friends of my sisters where i had been recuperating uh, in cambridge uh we running like a, a, yoga, a yoga pilates center and they said look we've got a spare studio space you know you do you want to come and do your painting there uh, we, it's there free for a week and i said yeah that's mm-hmm. cool I ended up staying for two years, you know, wow. they didn't charge me a single penny, you know, because oh, they were fantastic. like, yeah, that was just amazing. And uh, they loved having me there, they said, because people were coming in, you know, to sign up for their classes. And I got known as the artist in the attic mm-hmm. and they want people would come up and look at what I was doing. And that's when I started to realize that once I started telling my story to them, that Everyone seemed very captivated by the whole thing, you know. And I realized, yeah, people do want to know about this. People aren't turning around dismissing it, saying, Well, you know, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Have you had ever had any training as a painter before this?
1: No, no, I hadn't. I I had I'd enjoyed yeah, doing art and stuff when I was at school, but just mm-hmm. basic drawing and painting, like a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I'm I'm dyslexic, so I failed all my academics basically at school, so I left school without any qualifications. So even if I'd wanted to follow that through and do like what we call a foundation course here, I couldn't have done it be- mm. without having uh, the qualifications, the academics. So, so, um, so no, I'd love to have done, but no, that didn't happen. Mm. Um, so yeah, again, like I say, I was just being given this crash course. I mean, people. Who turned around to me? Who are artists? They say, "Wow, you know your use of color—it's amazing. It's like you've been—it's been helped. You've been taught that, you know." So, and I said, "Well, I—I like, I feel that I have been taught it. I feel like that, you know, that I'm constantly being inspired just to be brave, you know. Mm-hmm. Like when I first started, for example, spa- uh, painting skin tones, you know, mm-hmm. of the beings of light, mm-hmm. I just used one color to start with, and then I thought." it's not this is looking flat and i started just throwing different colors on top of the skin like greens and pinks or whatever you know and it just suddenly that skin started coming alive and and giving like a more of a three-dimensional appearance and so i would never have thought of that i've never thought of doing anything like this you know at all
0: well it's interesting is there a place for people to come and and see this painting yeah. on your, in your book or on your website or something.
1: Yeah. If, if people want to go to the website, actually, that's probably like the main hub where you mm-hmm. can see. Um, and that's called shineonthestory.com. Okay. And if, if you want to go to that, then mm-hmm. you'd be able to also listen to my music, which I, I can talk to you about as well. And you mm-hmm. can stream my first symphony for free mm-hmm. and just listen to that to your heart's content and, and look at some of my paintings or Instagram as well. I tend to rotate uh, paintings that that I'm done or that I'm still doing now. And I put those up on Instagram. So Mm -hmm. please go and have a look at either of those.
0: I think I read from your intro that you've completed many paintings. Are you like Uh, selling these in a gallery or are you just painting them and putting them up in your room or I mean your house? Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I'm painting, but I also write music as well. Mm -hmm. So I spend my time either, either painting or or writing music. Mm -hmm. I write music for orchestra. Um, that was the second thing that came along. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, so my time is spent between the two. I live in, a, in like a converted mill, um, which I was lucky to stumble across. And so mm-hmm. it's perfect for me because it's, it's got plenty of light coming through. I've, I'm south-facing, so it's great for painting. Mm-hmm. It's also great. I'm right next to the river, so it's really inspiring as well, being close to the river. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah.
0: Um, are you doing this full-time now as a profession, like yeah. painting and writing?
1: Yeah that's right yeah. I mean in terms of um uh, the the paintings I did around my near death experience uh, they were I didn't sell a lot of those because they were too personal to me but not only that I don't think that they would have they're not marketable if you like. I mean they're, yeah they're, they're beautiful to me and, and mm-hmm. stuff but it's not that. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's quite interesting. I remember going to, into a into a gallery mm-hmm. in when I first started painting and I thought right I'm going to start selling my work. So I went in there. And I said, oh, I'm an artist. And they said, okay. And this was in, this was in Cambridge. In mm. Cambridge, it's just like, you know, it's a very artistic, ethereal sort of city, you know. Mm. And uh, it's a university town, basically, you know. And uh, mm. I thought they'd get it, you know. And they uh, and I, I, said, what, what's, it, what's your work about? And I said, what it was about? And he said, oh, no, no, we don't do religion. And I said, yeah. but it's not really religion, you know. I said, at least take a look. And he said, no, no, I'm not even going to look. We, wow. we don't do that. We just, we want paintings of... Of cities or, or cows in fields or, or you know abstracts, so mm-hmm. so I kind of that kind of made me fig- figure I'm not going to try them. these are too personal to me. So I, yeah, but since then work has sold on. So I've done, but I've done work that's not you know it's been commercial work if you like. So yeah, so people have been drawn to me both through my music and my art. I've been commissioned to write you know classical pieces for orchestras and. Mm-hmm. Um, Cambridge Clarinet Choir—that was quite a recent one, so that was interesting. So, yeah. (laughs) Uh,
0: What were you doing as a profession before all of this happened? And are you like in total awe, or surprise, or shock that you lead a completely different life now?
1: Yeah, it's hard to believe actually, because, like I say, I'd left school without any qualifications, so I'd moved to London. I was living there, and uh you know it was like all capital cities it was very competitive and, and expensive um mm-hmm. so i was just picking up whatever work occurred and so the work i was getting was mainly sort of manual labouring work mm-hmm. uh whatever i could get you know painting walls or or building walls or right. <laughs> plastering ceilings whatever you know that right. kind of thing and i was t- in all fairness these guys were brilliant at what their their work i used to look at them and then talking about plastering I just couldn't platter a wall to save my life I was useless at this kind of work right so I never felt like I fitted in anywhere so it was a struggle but you know I'd, so eventually I found myself running out of work because I wasn't that good at it and I ran out of money and I was drinking heavily so my life was literally coming to a virtual standstill mm-hmm. and I'd hit rock bottom and this was like this was just literally up to the point where all this happened so um so yeah so it was like i'd been given this second chance this opportunity to uh, to realize that i got it within myself to be able to move on and 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 be creative because that's obviously where i was meant to be Uh, that's obviously why i wasn't very good at doing the the kind of work i was doing because it it just wasn't my you know my sole purpose or whatever
0: you mentioned that you were dyslexic are you still dyslexic or did you have any change with that yeah oh yeah yeah
1: it's it's not something that you can change really yeah it's it's a condition that stays with you and, and and it's it's like a word blind Blindness thing, and it's you know, it's, there's, there's many people who are who are dyslexic, you know, and uh, quite a few geniuses are dyslexic. So I don't kind of see it as like any kind of stigma, but it's just it's just very difficult, tri- uh, tricky to get yourself through life, and it still is. I mean, you know, the third stage of, of my my journey was to write a book, which I always wanted to do. I wanted to do this right from the off, and I never thought I could do with my dyslexic, but. Again, there was a lot of synchronicity. seemed to keep crossing my path, and uh, one of them was a, a, an old friend I hadn't seen for a t- some time. Got in touch with me, and the one I talked about earlier, who's uh, and uh, we just got chatting, and she said, "Oh, you should write your story in a book, you know." And I said, "I'd love to, you know, but me, you know, how am I going to do that?" And she said, "Well, listen, you know, why, why don't I help you out?" So she did. So that's how the book came together. So it's just, but I still had to be able to read it. all, you know, it was it was a long to read through every single thing that, were, that was being put together because obviously she did all the actual, she, it was her first book. She'd never written, she'd written medical journals before, you know. Mm. So that's why she said, let's have a go at this. But this is her first book. Mm. And um, she's actually said to me since that, she believes because i've talked all about channeling and stuff and she says she believes that she was channeling when she was writing that book and i said you know i think you were as well because it was like she was seeing into my mind it's like when i talked through the experience and we did it all together and then she she managed to get it into a book form when i read everything back there was hardly anything where i had to go oh, no that didn't it didn't happen like that no that's not right you know it was amazing Yeah. You know?
0: Let me catch a quick couple more questions here. After having your experience, do you have a different point of view towards people and life?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I mean, basically, I, I, I my point, I, the way I look at it with people is it's not judging them, but uh, but I've realised that we're all going so fast all the time. You know, we're all just kind of like. Sort of moving forward at such a terrific pace, and and that that pace that we're running at is 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 kind of led by the ego, if you like. I don't mean people are egotistical, but it's just that like we're saying, all right, this is where we've got to be. We've got to be successful at this. We've got to be successful at that. Mm-hmm. And um, I realised following my near death experience that that's not where we need to be. We need to actually stop and sort of um, connect with our with our souls, our truths inner souls like I guided in that near death experience mm-hmm. and allow that kind of you know that that love to come out and that creativity wherever it or that true life's path journey to come out. So um so I feel differently. So I do see things differently. Yeah. I don't I, I certainly don't judge people, but I just I just noticed that. I just noticed how fast people are going and how fast people have been led. Although that's kind of slowed down mm-hmm. since the pandemic. I mean that was quite interesting for me because mm-hmm. I thought, yes this is interesting, here we go. We Suddenly the whole world had, was knocked off kilter and had to stop. Right. And people were literally baking their own bread at home, educating their own kids, painting. And you know, over here, I don't know about in, uh, in the US, but everyone was just like putting it up online. Look, I've started painting. I've started making clay models, you know. So yeah, I sort of noticed
0: that. Oh, that's great. You mentioned earlier about uh, you felt like you had an attachment to the other world an umbilical can you explain
1: yeah that? yes i most certainly did i mean I, I still feel it now but i think a lot of that is to do with the fact that i'm i'm aware on a daily basis that my guides are with me and i'm a, and I'm a lot more spiritual now mm-hmm. uh, i go to spiritual healing every week which is mm-hmm. something that i discovered and to me that's my way of that's the nearest I come to being back in that place. Mm. When I go into spiritual healing, it's like I go into the moment. So I sit down mm. and there's normally one or two healers working on me and they just have their hands placed normally on my shoulders and what have you, or different parts of my body. And I just close my eyes and I just feel myself going into that space. And it's, and it's really quite beautiful. But interestingly enough, um, you know, when I, when I, I'd stumbled across the spiritualist church, by accident anyway and I did and I went in there and then I figured that I wanted to speak to them this was at the beginning because I thought they're going to understand what's happened to me mm-hmm. and I didn't need confirmation but I just needed some affirmation on what had happened really. right and they were great because I said yeah you had a near-death experience which I'd never heard of before mm-hmm. so and so what, they said why don't you come you know stick around we're having a church meeting tonight so I did do and at the end of I went for quite some months and it's Sunday, they'd have a service and at the end they'd have a guest medium would come along from a different part of the country. And I got picked out nearly every single week by the medium and Mm -hmm. everyone laughed. They said, Oh, he's the new guy. He's getting picked out every week, you know, Mm -hmm. but I really knew at that point that's because my energy was just so very much attached, as I say, to that other side. And I could feel they were still healing me basically that I, the, the, the mediums were obviously picking up on that, that energy level that was still, Circulating around me, you know, and I'm not saying that in a way of where you know I was, I was special. It was just that they were they were connecting with that energy, which is incredible because mediums are amazing.
0: You know, all, their work is quite fantastic. Have you felt like you've also have any other abilities that have come along in your life?
1: Oh, I, I don't. I don't think so, but I don't know. So, because I just feel that, you know, a friend of mine turned around to me the other day and, you know, she said, is this what, you know, I was putting some a new um some new promo stuff together, like a just basic promo film. I think I might have sent it to you, actually. Mm-hmm. And it's just a very short 60-second uh, clip condensing my whole story, you know, to promote the book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and my friends would turn around and say, that looks like you've got a film crew who put that together. That's amazing. And again, it's very hard for me not to be sort of going, yeah, you know, I'm great, but I'm not. i never see myself in that way. I'm just, I'm just doing the job. But I, cannot, I could never have done anything like that before. So I just feel that I'm still being helped just to sort of bring all these things together. It's almost like I'm constantly working on on something and, and I'm being helped. Do you know what I mean? When I say that my guides are with me and they're, they're helping me you know, with the art and the music and stuff, They're also helping me to bring um, sort of synchronicity into my life. They're helping me to come across certain people that say, oh, you know, I heard your story the other day. You know, let me open this door for you and, and what have you. And it's like, so it's, who knows? Who knows what will come next? I really don't know you know at the at the end of the day it's it's interesting because it's not like i've got this kind of um uh, there's no ego involved in this really it's it's all about just getting the story out to people and to mm-hmm. as many people as possible whether it's through my music my art or now with the book and and, and i'm talking to people like yourself which is great so i'm reaching out to different parts of uh, of the globe and it's fun, and it's great and and also communication and i'm sure you find it yourself when you're interviewing people mm-hmm. you're learning something Aren't you just not from the other person, but things you say yourself, you thought, actually, yeah, I never thought of that. I just <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean uh I mean doing these uh, interviews I I get to meet a lot of very interesting people and I feel like I just make friends with everybody. I like I make a new friend almost every time I, I do one of these and that's what's one of the enjoying things about this. So uh can you tell us how you got into writing music?
1: Yeah, um It was actually when I first started going to these spiritual healing sessions, uh, some of the healers are clairvoyant, and they would just give very short messages at the end of when they just finished healing you. And then they'd say things like, you know, started saying, oh, yeah, why am I seeing a violin placed across your chest? Or another one turned around to me and said, they're telling me that you're going to write a piece of music about Mm. your experience. I went, okay, great. Now, I'd played... Guitar, but very basic sort of rock and roll, three-chord wonder songs, you know. Mm-hmm. And and, uh, and so that's all I'd ever known. So I went home and tried to start writing what I thought would be a three-minute song, you know, and, mm-hmm. but I couldn't play guitar because my left arm was bashed up. So I pulled this old synthesizer out of the cupboard, mm-hmm. and I was mucking about on that, and this song was not going to come. It wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but then one afternoon, I just got this movie on, on the TV, and I was just like playing around without thinking about it. And this chord progression came. of, oh, wow, that sounds nice. And all I got was a cassette recorder. So I recorded that onto the cassette recorder. And I just developed it from there. And I got to the stage where I thought, this is not going to be a, a three-minute song. This is going to be something that an orchestra should play. Mm-hmm. Now I'd met a cello player who used to come up and look at my paintings in the yoga centre and uh, Mm -hmm. we used to meet for coffee and uh, we got chatting and she said, what are you up to? So I told her about this new piece Mm -hmm. I was working on and she knew about my story Mm -hmm. and she laughed and said, oh, maybe our orchestra could play it one day and I Mm -hmm. said, right, I'm going to hold you to that. So Mm -hmm. my brother gave me this software that I could uh, attach to my computer and Mm -hmm. it meant that when I played the notes on my Synthesizer, that it would then transpose it into, you know, musical notation. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did and printed off the parts. I met her and the heads of the orchestra mm-hmm. and said, what do you think? And they said, okay, yeah, we'll do it. Mm-hmm. So they decided to um, uh, perform it. And, and again, me talking about my guides helping me, they helped me bring the promotion of that whole thing together because it's like, I I wasn't thinking about promoting it at all and then the orchestra said, look, do you mind talking to the local press just a few lines about your piece? I said, yeah. And I did do. And of course the guys at the local press remembered me from being on the news, you know. Mm. You're the guy who went under the train. Yeah, this is great. It's going on the front cover. Ah. So it did. And then the phone kept ringing and then the BBC came down to Mm. interview me and then the concert sold out two weeks in advance. So Mm. it was like a, a tremendous energy. But Again, I didn't get ahead of myself. I didn't kind of go, yeah, you yeah, know, this is, you know, well, I was excited, obviously, but I just thought, no, this is, this is a synchronicity that they're they are now helping me with my PR. Mm. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was remarkable. So that's how that came about, just through spiritual healing.
0: That's amazing. <laughs> Do you ever feel like besides what you've already done, a message that people need to hear? You kind of mentioned earlier, like maybe we need to slow down and connect and stuff. Is there any certain message that you keep kind of, it keeps rattling through your mind about, you know, a message that you feel like you need to share with people?
1: Yeah, there is actually, and that is, um, it's self-love. I know it sounds very simple, but it's, it's, it's the most powerful thing that I experienced on the other side is i was given all that love and i brought that back with me Mm -hmm. and uh i realized that i'd gone throughout the whole of my life not loving myself Mm -hmm. you know for every thing that i thought i was failing at throughout my whole life i was beating myself up and saying it's all your fault you know you're a mess you know you're just a failure you know Mm -hmm. and i really labeled myself constantly as being like a a, you know just a a mess Mm -hmm. and um so, in that stopped me from moving forward in my life. And mm-hmm. when I came back with all that love, I thought, "I'm not going to lose that. That's staying with me. I'm going to keep it." And I and I did. And I've kept that self love. And and that self love then went on to equal self confidence mm-hmm. and self belief. Mm-hmm. And then once you've got those ingredients, it's kind of like, wow, you know it 's um things doors will just slowly open and, and and the thing and the light will come in and the and the things that are meant to come into your pathway will happen, mm-hmm. but I also think be authentic to yourself as well, you know I was constantly when I was in London, I was chasing after all the wrong type of relationships I was after all these people who are successful and, you know, there's nothing wrong with what they were doing, but, you know, it just, they weren't meant for me. I wasn't meant to be with those people. You know, if only I'd been authentic to myself and got in touch with my sens- sensitivity and stuff, you know, be authentic to yourself. So that's what
0: I feel. Hmm, that's interesting. Let me check another question here. When you feel spiritual, do you mean connection with God? And when you say God, do you mean, what do you mean by that? Like as if do you is God is represented as energy or
1: yes it's it's uh, it's represented as energy um it's it's the universe itself that i I feel connected to when I when I I mean I, I feel it, there's three elements that I feel in touch with yeah um you know there's there's my guides that are there that I call upon and I mm-hmm. call upon them for their help and their guidance mm-hmm. Then there's a universe which I also call upon because I I also feel that we're all part of the universe and the universe wants us to recreate and and have, and give us energy. So I call upon the universe, and then at the centre of all that is God, which is which is uh, something that I firmly believe in. That, that and that is, as I say, that's the source of all creation. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. So I guess in in that tier of of order, not to put any lack of importance on anything at all but yeah
0: that's interesting do you feel like there's any parts of your experience that you may not be remembering and if if yes or no have you ever like had any hypnotherapy or anything to go back and see if you other things have happened that you can't remember now
1: no i I don't think that's the case yeah um i i figure that everything because everything that i saw and felt and went through was so ultra real that mm. it's—I've never forgotten it. It's not like, it's not like it was, like I was being in a state of hypnosis or in, or in a dream state. It was very, very real. Mm. So I've never forgotten a single thing to this day. Mm. Um, so, so I don't think that would be the case.
0: Yeah. Okay, it's interesting. I see paintings behind you. Are those paintings mm. of anything that had to do with your experience, or is that just general um, paintings that you're doing yeah, that that,
1: that's now? That, they well they are they're part of of um the process actually i mean uh, me talking earlier about how i suddenly realised i was um i was very sensitive um to, to the world afterwards it was just uh, i i had to go through uh, quite a lot of legal stuff obviously after the accident which is inevitable for all of us and uh, and i come from the place of pure love and, and, and feeling mm-hmm. all this greatness to, uh, once i have gone into that world, obviously the, the legal yeah. world is, is quite the opposite. You know, yeah, there's no exactly. denying it for any of us. Sure. And that was quite a culture shock for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I actually uh, hit depression at that point because I just mm-hmm. felt, oh my, I just can't deal. And, um, and I had to have some therapy anyway that would to deal with my accident. So that helped me, the therapy sessions. And while I was doing those therapy sessions, I decided I wanted to start painting uh, to deal with, with what I felt was the injustice of justice, right. the so-called justice system, you know. Yeah. And um, so that's what those paintings are about there. The one right at the back, that's of, um, of the British model called Kate Moss. Have you heard of her at all? Yeah. Yeah, well, anyway, she's a model and um, she was, around that time, she'd been reported in the tabloid news that she was doing too many drugs or getting drunk and stumbling out of nightclubs and things like that, you know. So I just took those images from the tabloids Mm -hmm. and I used them and I thought, right, I'm going to I'm going to sort of take those images and I'm, I'm, I'm going to give her some some Botticelli angel wings and have some cherubs leading her down the steps out of that nightclub. And it's exactly the same image from those tabloids, but the, mm-hmm. their headline was like, Disgraced Kate. Whereas when people would come in and look at the painting, they'd go, oh, wow, that is such a beautiful image. What a beautiful angel. And then I'd tell, I said, no, that's Kate Moss. And they'd go, yeah. oh, right. <laughs> so I wanted to give to twist things around mm-hmm. to say, look, you don't don't just look at the headline. Look at you know. Look, there's a beautiful person inside there mm-hmm. that uh, who's hurting. No matter how beautiful, uh, even though she's a model or a successful person, she's still a soul. You know, so mm-hmm. that's why i was doing it. And the other one's Marlon Brando as well. So, so oh, wow. just different, different people who 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 who've done an awful lot of amazing things, but had a lot of injustice thrown at them. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> after your experience did you find that most people were supportive of your story or you know thought you were crazy
1: uh, No, everyone's well pretty very supportive actually i've been very lucky oh, um, that's you know, so I, I, yeah so i mean that could all change i mean i'm the, i'm getting more and more out into the into the world and and you know and of course as we all know we, we live in an internet world where there's trolls and stuff like that so i mean yeah i mean that could come back and bite me but uh, I will say so far, that, um, I haven't had that. Most people want to listen, you know. I remember the very first radio interview I did here in the UK. Um, I went; it was like on a drive time show, and, and I remember the I went on and I, I, they started me off. The the producer said, "Okay, you're going to be on after this news break," and so you could hear the show going on, and I could hear this guy going. You know, it was a drive time show, so you got to keep it light. But he was kind of like almost kind of going, Yeah, you know, talking about me as if I was this crazy guy. He's going, Well, oh. you know, we're going to be talking to David. Disford. He went on a train, he had a, a near death experience, you know. And I thought, oh, No, oh, what am I doing? This is all wrong, you know. But do you know what? I came on after that news break and he said, Tell us his story. And I started talking about it. And he just he went quiet. And I thought, Are you still there? And he was going, keep going this is amazing you know mm. and he just wanted to keep going on and on he said this is and he said look I'm a I'm actually you know like um a journalist and I'm supposed to like pull this apart I said but this is brilliant this is great I'm, I'm loving what you're saying so mm. so that was a good stumbling block for me to start off on because I thought well if I can overcome that mm. and then yeah fine you <laughs> know Mm. people do want to hear you know i mean mm. let's face it we we don't talk about death at all in western western civilization yes not at all which is crazy because i mean it, it's, we're all gonna face it at some point so right. i don't believe or at all that we should be talking about it all the time but mm. hey we should just like try and address it like we do with everything else we we prepare for getting married you know we prepare for birth mm. uh even dr- taking our driving test so well, why not prepare for you know when we when we
0: I was speaking with a friend of mine recently about why near death experiences have become very popular on my podcast. And he said, you know, which I think makes a lot of sense, is that with COVID out there now, Mm. we we know a lot more people are facing death, you know, with the, the amount of people that have died recently. So maybe a lot of people have a lot of interest in it now.
1: I, I think there's that but i also think there's what i was going back to talking about earlier and i think that it it's people were suddenly did start to become a little bit more spiritual because mm-hmm. everyone was just stopping you know people were who wouldn't normally think about nature would be turning around and saying do you know what I could smell the grass today i was, i was I could hear the birds singing, you know I was watching the you know blah 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 you know and it 's kind of like wow, you know, so I think there 's an awful lot of that to do with it as well that that it gave people a chance to actually want to try and get in touch uh with it, with, with, with with that topic so yeah so it's it 's great because I mean, in all fairness, you know my book was planned to come out it came out on june the twenty sixth so we were building up, you know, doing interviews, getting ready for the promotion. Mm-hmm. And it was literally when the whole pandemic happened that mm-hmm. I suddenly thought, wow, this this is like a pivotal point for me. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just about to sort of promote my book. It could go either way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't really mind. I didn't really, you know, I thought I'm going with the flow like with everything else. But mm-hmm. I just thought, I wonder. I wonder whether it uh, exactly was, as you just talked about, would happen that people may be interested in, in the topic, which is great, which is great. And I don't mean that from the sales, sales point of view, but it's great that more people want to talk about, about it because I think it's very healthy mm-hmm. to, to at least address it and just become a bit more aware of the spiritual aspects of, of life and death, you know.
0: All right. So you have the paintings, you have the music, you have the new book, and that's called Shine On.
1: Yeah, that's right. Shine
0: on. Do you have any other projects that you're working on that you would like people to know about?
1: Um, Well, a lot of people have shown interest in my music. As I say, uh, I'm streaming like the first symphony that I've done. Mm. Now I've got plenty of other pieces of music. So what I'm planning on doing now is I want to put all that music together and then release that next and for people to be able to – because even though I say, yeah, you can stream music for free – I'm amazed at how many people turn around to me and say, yeah, but I'd actually like to be able to have this stuff where I can just like stick it on when I'm in my car or whatever, mm-hmm. whenever I want, you know, and just hear it. And so, mm-hmm. so yeah, so, so that's, it's, that's the next stage. And I'm thinking I'd like to put a compilation of more music together. So,
0: Oh yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. Put it together as a CD and, and put that out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's review again the best way for people to find you. Your website is?
1: Yeah, shineonthestory.com.
0: Shineonthestory.com. So, yeah. And what was your Instagram? You mentioned you had your paintings on Instagram.
1: Yeah, it's just David underscore Ditchfield on, on Instagram, so you can go there. But if, if you go to shineonthestory.com, mm-hmm. you'll find links to all my social media there you you can just click on the buzzers so you've got there's a facebook page you can follow me on or instagram and also youtube i've got a youtube channel okay um, which you can follow me on there so you can see you know some of my interviews and things so yeah
0: okay great all right before we wrap it up do you have one last message that you would like to send out to the world here
1: oh (laughs) <laughs> uh, so I think I've pretty much covered most of them really so in, without in danger of uh of um repeating myself is um yeah do not fear death is i suppose is the big one mm-hmm. because i really i really don't want people to to feel that and to sort of uh embrace it you know because it's it is going to happen to us all and 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 and, and just know that the, the the next stage of life is really amazing. It's it's beautiful. You'll forget any insecurities or whatever you carry with you now. All that will disperse, and, and it's going to be a, a beautiful experience for you when when you move on.
0: That's kind of something to look forward to. Although we don't yeah, want to don't get there. we don't want to rush into it. But at least it's <laughs> no, com-
1: it's I don't want to encourage that with anyone. <laughs>
0: right, it makes it at least comforting to know that there's yeah, something exactly. beyond this
1: that the most certainly is. I'm not the first to say it either, so right. believe you me.
0: Right, right. Yeah. All right, David. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and, and giving me some of your time. I, I, I'm very thankful for that. I wish you lots of success with your paintings, with your music, with your book,
1: and Thank possibly
0: you. with your CD, if you put that out as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll let you know when, that's, when that comes out. <laughs> I, I really I wish certainly. you the best. Thank you very much. Mm. It's been great chatting with you. All
0: right, Thanks well, I would say on your end, you're a big time difference. So have a great evening over there.
1: Uh, Thanks a lot. Cheers, now. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye now.